See, when we isolate ourselves or when we live out our, our faith alone, I believe we miss out. We miss out on the gift that God has given us in community. To, to be in fellowship means that you don't have to walk through life alone. It means that you're part of a community where you are known and can be known by others. I get the, the privilege of inviting Joyce Hopkinson up to, to read our passage. If you don't know who Joyce is, uh, we're reading about a passage that stresses prayer. And, and we didn't even intentionally plan this, but you were like the perfect person to do this because you are, are one of our prayer warriors. We're reading from Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. So please stand for the reading of the word. is the fellowship of believers. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were be saved. Praise God. You guys can have a seat. Before we jump into this passage, I just want to pray. Father, as we we look to this, uh, this way in which the gospel was infused in this community so that at the very center of who they were, they enjoyed life together because of who you are. And so, Lord, as we read through this, as we study through this this morning, would it come to life, uh, Father, those, those areas where we're, we're leaning in and we, we see this playing out in our community, uh, Father, would we celebrate that in those places where we need to course correct, where we need to, to turn back and devote ourselves to the things uh, that are of you, uh, Father, would we be willing to do so? Would you help us to pay attention to that which you would have us pay attention to? God, would we be a, a place that practices life together well? We love you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In, uh, in 2004, there was a, a movie that came out that was written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan. He's uh, a director who often has a twist in his storytelling. And he wrote this, this movie called the, the Village. And if you've seen it, you, you know kind of the twist that comes at the end, but it follows this community that's living kind of an Amish-style community that's in this small town together, surrounded by woods, and they really, it's, it's communal living. They share meals together. All of these things they do together, and it seems like this beautiful place. 
But there's this mythology that plays out in the midst of this town that there's these others and they're just beyond the walls of the city. And if the others are, are provoked in any way, shape, or form, well, then they'll just wreak havoc upon the village. And so there's this constant fear that they live in of the other, of those beasts, as they call them, that may come into the village. What's so fascinating about this is that all this is playing out. Suddenly you start to discover that there's a story beneath the story, and that's the real story. Because in each of these people's homes, there lives a little black box that's locked. And inside that little black box is, is the secrets of pains, of, of life's disappointments. See, this is no 19th century Amish village as it's portrayed to be. Actually, it's a group of people living in a modern day society that are hiding out in the middle of a forest that are fooling their kids that they're living in a different time and a different place because they've been so wounded by the world around them that they thought maybe, just maybe, if we bunker down, if we can just pretend that this is all we have, that the failures of humanity won't affect us. But what we all know is wherever human beings are, humanity's fallenness follows. And so very soon, this village experiences tragedy once again. See, but we hear this story and we watch it play out and we say, how foolish. And yet, at the same time, we have those very same thoughts. How do we avoid the pain of life around us? How do we live as we are meant to live without experiencing pain? And if any of you have, have lived on this earth longer than five minutes, you know that that's pretty impossible to avoid pain. It's here. It's the tension of what we feel of the, the now and the, the not yet. And so in this village where they experienced the, the intrusion of malice and, and pain, once again, even though they tried so hard to, to bunker from it, it, it's a reminder to us. That no matter how tall we build our walls, humanity still seeps in. No matter how far away we try to get, there's still this, this chasing of our fallenness that can find us. So how do we live? What's the hope in that? How do we function as a community? Well, I, I love how Eugene Peterson, pastor and theologian, talks about the church and how we are to live. He says that we are that the church is to be a colony of heaven in the country of death. A colony of heaven in the country of death. We are to be an outpost of the kingdom. Not something hidden, but rather something, some place where we can experience community and flourish under God's rule and reign, under the reign of Jesus and empowered by the Spirit. And not hidden for people not to see, but on display for all to see and an invitation, a living invitation for all to experience. And we hear that and it sounds so good. We want to be a part of that. But what does that look like? And so when we come to this passage in Acts 2, 42 through 47, we see this ideal community playing out, God's people coming together, practicing, listening, and learning from the apostles' teaching, fellowship together, breaking bread. They're in prayer. They're, they're together, and they are united. And it's this beautiful thing that I think there's much for us to learn from. Now, just a disclaimer, because whenever we're talking about the early church, particularly in, in passages like this, we start to build up this ideal that they had it all perfect. Right? And just a reminder, there are so many letters in the Bible because the early church uh, did not have it perfect. 
because there's all sorts of problems that needed to be addressed. They were trying to figure this out the best that they could, being obedient to what God was telling them to do and following in the spirit. And still there was faults and flaws, but they continued forward in his strength. And so we still strive for that ideal. And we look forward to fulfilling that when we meet Christ in heaven and we're joined there with him. But this morning, I want us to look at these practices of what it looks like to live in life together. And we see that this is a, a movement of God. Again, it's not this monument being built, but we see the, the disciples living in the midst of chaos and tension, political chaos and tension between the Jews and the Romans. There was all sorts of forces swirling around them, telling them what they could and could not do, and yet they lived in such a way and in such a posture that it was invitational. Because it was refreshing. It was something different. It was bringing life in the midst of a country of death. And that's what we are called to be. So turn with me to Acts 2.42. We've just come off the excitement of Pentecost where the Spirit comes. Peter stood up. He's preached. Last week we saw 3,000 people come and and experience the, the newness of following Jesus. And now we get this kind of summary statement. As we we go between sections where Luke, the author of Acts, is going to tell us uh, just kind of a quick summary of what happened before we move into the next section. And Acts 2.42 tells us this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. We see these four practices listed here in this moment. And I want to take each of these one at a time. And as we go through, we're going to ask ourselves some questions along the way as to how we can apply this. But before we can get to those four practices, I want to look at this word first that shows up in the beginning. And it says, and they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. That word devoted Here, it's the same word that's used uh, in Romans 12, 12, to be constant in prayer, to be devoted to prayer, to be persistent, to prevail, to be obstinately persistent, moving towards something, to hold tight to. That's what it means to be devoted, that you're going to grab hold of something, you're not going to let it go. And so what we're going to see play out here is that they were devoted to these things. They were grasping hold of them as practices to keep in the rhythm of their community. This word devoted, it's the same word that we've already seen used in Acts 1.14, that they were devoted in prayer, that they came together holding fast and praying with one another. We see this same word used again in Acts 6.4 when it says that they were devoted. The apostles said, we need to devote ourselves to the word, the ministry of the word, and to prayer, that we need to hold fast to these things. And so this word reminds us that to to devote to ourselves, to to hold tight to something, means to, to narrow our scope. It means to push away those things that take us away from the greatest good. A friend and mentor of mine always would describe it like this. He said, there's a simple way of life, Andrew. He said, and it's these three principles that I live by. One God, one wife, one team for life. He's a big A's fan. And I was like, well, I don't know, I don't know about that one. I don't know if I can go with you there. But the idea is when we're a devoted fan, when we're a devoted spouse, what are we saying? We're forsaking all others to hold tight to that which we are holding on to. 
And so we see this early gathering of followers of Jesus that went from 120 to 3,000 now coming together and devoting themselves to these four practices. So they devote ourselves. And the truth is, and we need to pay attention to, that what we devote ourselves to, it shapes who we are. What we devote ourselves to, it shapes who we are. And so here's the the first question I want to ask you this morning, and I want you to think through, and you can write this down and come back to this later or sit with it wherever you need to. But it's this, what, what are you devoting yourself to? What are you forsaking all other things for? What in your life would you say you are devoting yourself to? That answer to that question is going to be revealing. Now, I know we're in a church context, so, so usually the first thing we think of is, well, no, I'm devoting myself to Jesus. But I want you to really sit with that and go, but, but is your life aligning with that? Would someone following you throughout your week say, yeah, I think you're casting all other things aside to hold tight to Jesus. That seems to be a priority in your life. So that's my first question for you. What are you devoting yourself to? And so we see they devoted themselves to, and the first practice we'll see is to the apostles' teaching. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. Well, who are the apostles? Well, Luke's defined this for us. If we go back to Acts 1.22, he's defining the apostles, those who would stand as the 12, as the ones who had been with Jesus from the time of his baptism, witness to his life, and witness to his resurrection. One who had walked with Jesus, been taught by Jesus, and was witness to his life, death, and resurrection. Someone who could speak to what they had seen in Jesus' life. Someone who had been covered in the dust of their rabbi as they followed after him and lived with him and had meals with him. And so that's who these apostles are. But what was their teaching? What would they be sharing? What would they be teaching to those disciples that were coming to learn to follow in the way of Jesus? Well, it's, it's pretty simple, actually. They were just teaching what they had been taught. They were, they were teaching what had been modeled to them. And, and what had they been taught? Well, they had been taught the way of Jesus. And in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so the apostles would be taking all that Jesus had taught them, all that Jesus had commanded them, and they would be taking that and they would be sharing that with others. And not just to have head knowledge, but they would be teaching them to be obedient to these words, to live them out, to put flesh to them, to walk in the way of Jesus. And what we see here is that the apostles were teaching the early followers to make disciples. They were devoted, persistent in listening to and following the apostles' teaching. Now, to be a disciple, to be someone who is discipled or discipling others, literally means to be a learner. If you are a disciple, you are taking on the posture of a student. And if we are disciples of Christ, then we are a student to him and we are trying to mimic, to take on his life, that we begin to mirror him in our actions, in our thoughts, and in our deeds. And so the early church was a learning church. They were students. 
That's why I love whenever we, we say, hey, open your Bible, and I hear this rustle of pages, it means that you, you're actually following along. You're, you're looking up things. When there's a cross-reference, I see some of you kind of rifle through your pages, and I go, okay, that's what we want. We want to be checking the scriptures. I want you checking what I'm saying. I want you to be a disciple that is willing to learn and sit at the feet of Jesus and to be obedient to him first and foremost above all things. That should be the posture of our church, that we are learning, but not just keeping it here, but that we are taking that and we are being obedient to what we are learning, that we are following in the way of Jesus, that we are hearing his commands and we are putting those into practice. See, when we start to live this way, what we start to recognize is that those who sat on the apostles' teaching would take that teaching and then they would turn around and they would start teaching it to somebody else because that was the command that Jesus gave not just to the disciples but to all of us, to make disciples. That falls to each and every one of us. And I know sometimes we hear that and it feels so intimidating, like, I, I can't possibly do that. And the truth is you already do. You just don't realize it. And maybe you don't even realize what you're discipling people in or what you're discipling them toward. But let me tell you, we all disciple people in some way, shape, or form. I remember recognizing this when I was sitting on a bus with a sixth grader and we were coming back from a retreat and we had three hours to, to get back. And, and I got a whole lesson on Metroid Prime. Now, some of you are like, what is Metroid Prime? Yeah, that's how I felt too. It's a video game, okay? And this kid would not talk at all. And suddenly I said, hey, do you, do you play video games? And his eyes lit up. They got real big. And for the next three hours, he unpacked all the video games that he played. But he did more than that. He walked me through each one and how I could play that game and beat that game and win that game. And what he was doing in that moment was he was discipling me. He's saying, this is what I'm devoted to. This is what's important to me. Let me tell you. And we all have things like that, that we are excited about, that bubble over in us, that we are teaching and walking other people along in and say, oh, you should really try this. And what, what the apostles were telling us, what Jesus was telling us is that he wants to make sure that what's bubbling out of us is, is our love of him and that we're following after him and so that we're coming alongside others and we're sharing with them, man, this is what I'm experiencing in following Jesus and I want you to be a part of it. I want you to experience the goodness that's happening here. I'm going to point you in the way that I'm finding myself going. And along the way, we're going to learn together as disciples of Jesus. See, this was the, the practice of the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, which were really Jesus' teachings, so that their lives were being shaped by what they were devoted to. And if what we devote ourselves to shapes who we are, then the voices that we're listening to matter. What we're taking in and what we're giving our time and our space to, we need to be paying attention to. Not just blindly allowing voices to speak into us, but going, is this the right voice? Is this the one that I, I want to be speaking into me? Is this a voice of truth that I should be clinging to. Because if we devote ourselves 
and spend our times listening to the endless news cycle that exists in our day and age, then we shouldn't be surprised when that starts to shape us and we start to find ourselves rising and falling based on what's happening in the news. But if we're looking for a better anchor, something that doesn't shift and something that lasts, let us learn from the practices of the early church who devoted themselves to the teaching and the way of Jesus. So here's my second question for you. Who are you listening to? Who are you giving voice to in your life? What is, is shaping you? Because what we listen to is, is shaping us. So who are you listening to? Are you going to voices of truth or are you just going to voices that speak and spew? The early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, devoted themselves to the teachings of Jesus. We're making sure that they, they knew that inside and out, that that was what was shaping them first and foremost. But who are, who, who are we listening to? We continue on. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and then to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Now, if you've been around church for a while, at some point you have probably seen a group or have been part of a group that was called koinonia. Koinonia is the Greek word for fellowship. It gets thrown around in church quite a bit. And if you've never heard that before, well, there you go. You've got a new word for the day. And koinonia in the Greek, what it means is it means fellowship. It means to share with. It means to have communion with. It means to participate in life together. If you jump down to, to verses 44 and 45, we see this lived out in the practice of the early church. And it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. See, what we see here is that they're sharing in life together. They had all things in common. But it's important when we read through that because some will start to stretch to, like, was this a commune? Was this the early grounds of communism? Like, what was happening here? No, no, they all had individual resources that they were holding loosely. They were asking the question and sought to steward what they owned for the greater good. If someone had need, they were willing to sell some of their possessions so that that need could be met because they were thinking of each other. Not just, well, this is mine and this is how it's going to benefit me, but how can this benefit us? Maybe God's calling me to step into this need and support the person who's in front of me. And what we see is that this fellowship was lived out in a daily connection with one another. It wasn't just show up on Sundays and, and be together. No, it was throughout the week. They were together. They did life together. Every day they were gathering in the temples. They were gathering in each other's homes. They, they knew each other and they were known by each other. This is why I believe it's so important for us to practice community together. See, when we isolate ourselves or when we live out our, our faith alone, I believe we miss out. We miss out on the gift that God has given us in community. To, to be in fellowship means that you don't have to walk through life alone. It means that you're a part of a community where you are known and can be known by others. And what the enemy loves to do is to isolate us. 
Because when we're, we're taken away, when we're on our own and we begin to just kind of allow our own thoughts to spin us around, well, that's like what a lion loves to do is to separate its prey from the rest of the pack so it can overpower it. And there are times where each of us has experienced that, that spiral of despair or those moments where we're just not thinking well and we need somebody that we trust to speak truth over us and to us, to come alongside us and be like, you're not seeing the full picture. You're really only seeing this. Let me, let me walk with you in this. This is the value of walking in life together. And I love that, that we can have brothers and sisters that can speak the gospel over us and to us. To call out when they, they see the good and the bad. When we're drifting, they can pull us back and be like, you just haven't quite been yourself lately. And I, I don't know what's going on, but man, there seems to be something brewing beneath the surface. And, and I don't think it's good. How, how can I walk with you in this? But here's the other part about fellowship, because some of us hear this, and we're, we're, we're listening through, and they're like, they were together every day, like every day. I don't think I want to be with everyone here every day, right? I can do once a week, maybe twice a week. Every day seems like a lot. And we, we start to go, that seems really inconvenient. I've got things that I need to get done. I've got a, a schedule that I need to keep. And, and here's the thing with fellowship. Fellowship isn't convenient. There is a cost to it. There is a sacrifice to it. When we're sharing in life together, there's a cost to that. But the beauty is, is just as much as there's a cost and a sacrifice, when we experience joy, that joy is now multiplied because we're sharing it with others. And so, yes, there's a cost, but there's also this immense benefit of walking through life with others. But it does come at a cost. Now, I'm not sure if, if you guys know this or not, or if you've experienced it, uh, but it seems to be that there's some strong opinions when it comes to masks. Um, I don't know if you've walked into that, right? I can tell by the, the silence and the looks I'm getting that no one wants to talk about this right now, um, <laughs> which tells me, no, we've, we've all been there. And it, and it is a conversation, but I just want to give you an example where I saw sacrifice. And some of you are going to be like, I don't want to hear this example. But it, it, but it, really, it really got me. Okay. There are certain ministries that we are still requiring masks to be worn. And I know that's a battle. And for some, there's health issues. You can't do that. But I just have to share this because I walked in and I saw somebody that, that had a mask on. And I, and I know them. And I know their stance. And I know the, the battle it's been but I heard nothing of that battle other than I just wanted to be here and serve. And if I have to do this, that's fine. They weren't thinking of their convenience. They weren't thinking of that, that frustration. All they were thinking of was if I show up, that means I can, I can do life with this person, which frees up these people to be in church and do what they need to do. That's what they were thinking because they were holding that fellowship of like, well, sometimes we have to give a little for the sake of others. I've seen this play out in other ways too where there's a need in the midst of a community and someone's like, I, I, don't, I, can't, I can't meet this need on my own and suddenly those around them come and say, well, well, we can meet this need together and we'll walk through this with you. See, this is what happens when we fellowship, when we share in our burdens, when we share in our joys together, that we carry one another along. There's something so beautiful to that, and when we experience it, it's overwhelming. 
But again, it can be inconvenient or it can feel inconvenient. Every Tuesday night, we, we gather with our home group, Rachel and I. And every Tuesday during the day, it just seems to be a long day. It just it plays out where it just feels like a long day. And I get home and I'm tired and, and, and you know, had a lot of conversations. And I'm like, oh, that's right. That's right. We have, we have home group tonight, right? That's right. And that, that's often where I'll start. And then we get together. And we start to, to go through the scriptures together and we start to encourage one another. We start to pray for one another. We start to laugh with each other. And every Tuesday I end that and I'm like, oh, I cannot wait till next Tuesday. And we laugh because Rachel and I have this conversation all the time. But once we experience it, once we taste it, once we're reminded again of the incredible journey that we're on with these brothers and sisters in Christ that we are so grateful for, that we have just come to love and they speak life into us. And there's sometimes we walk into that group and it feels like someone's just down. And so we all come around them and say, okay, this week we're going to carry you because next week you're probably going to be carrying me. And we just know that we've got each other. This is why we talk around getting involved in a home group or, or getting involved in a men's group or a women's group because you need to be known and you need to know others. We're meant to be in fellowship. We, we thrive in fellowship. God has given us the gift of these relationships around us, not just to be used on Sunday, but throughout the week. So my question here, third question is this, who are you living with? Who are you doing life with? And maybe right now that, that list seems real small or seems real narrow. But are you known? Are you allowing yourself to be known? That's probably the better question. Some of us are real good at the surface stuff, but actually getting beyond that where we're really known, that, that feels like a risk. Are you allowing others to speak the gospel into your life and... Are you speaking the gospel into others' lives? So often people tell me, oh, I miss church, and I'm so sorry I miss church, and, and you know, all these different things. Oh, I, I, I just, I need it so much. And, and often what I think of is when, when you miss church, I'm like, oh, you know what? It, yeah, I know you missed being here, but we actually missed you. We missed the chance for you to speak life into us and what you bring to this community. It's a two-way street. That's how this fellowship thing works. So who are you living with? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Breaking of bread. The breaking of bread is often a way that Luke refers to communion and the Lord's Supper. Where they would take the bread and they would, they would break it in remembrance of what Jesus had done for us. His body broken for us. Where they would take the wine and they would drink this, this new covenant. His blood shed for us. And they would, they would center their time around remembering what Jesus had accomplished on their behalf and on our behalf. And what was so beautiful about the breaking of bread was it was this great equalizer that all came to the table with a deep need of Jesus. 
It evened the playing field of, of rich and poor, slave and free. No, all had the same need because all of us have the same need of Jesus. And when we gather here and we take communion together, we're all admitting that we need you. Every day we, we need you, Jesus. And so when we come to the table, we're reminded of this. In a few moments, we're going we're gonna to take communion together. We're going to break bread together. and We're going to remind ourselves that what we hinge on is the truth of who Jesus is. And that invitation that he's given us to that table. Because Luke talks around the breaking of bread, but, but really that had a broader meaning too. And that was sharing a meal together. And often what we see in the New Testament is that when they had communion, it was a part of a longer meal together that they would share the dinner table with. And I, and I love this because I've found so often that some of the best conversations I have are over a meal. Somehow we just, we digest the conversation better when we're chewing food. It just all goes down and sticks with us a little bit different. But I, I love when we're able to expand our dinner table and have more people in our home and we just get to hear stories of how people met and what Jesus is doing in their lives. And there, there's this sharing that happens in that moment. Last night, we had some friends who invited us over, and they just spoiled us with, with ribs and good meat, and it was delicious, and, and it helped to digest the wonderful conversation that we were having. But there's something happens when we come together. And in the, the early church, they had this practice of, if we're going to have a meal, well, we're, we're also going to have communion together because we're always going to remember who Jesus is and that this friendship, this fellowship hinges on what he's done for us. So here's my fourth question. Who are you breaking bread with? Who are you breaking bread with? Who, who are you sharing a, a meal with? Who are you having a conversation that's more than just a, a quick check-in as you're, you're walking in and out of church or, or just bumping into the store? But who, who are you breaking bread with and getting to know? Maybe there, there's a family, there's a couple, there's, there's someone in this church that you just you keep coming to your mind and you're like, man, we just we, we keep meaning to have them over and we just haven't done it. Maybe it's just the Lord's just like, now's the time to do it. And here's the other thing, and I think this is helpful. So if any of you in here are like, you know, we're going to get together and, and I'm going to go get them and someone comes to you and says, hey, we want to have dinner with you. I'm not forcing you to have that, but it would be rude after the sermon to turn them down. Um, but... <laughs> No pressure, just kidding. Everyone's like, I don't, I don't like this at all. But part of, that, part of that meal, what I would encourage you to do is don't assume that Jesus will come up. Bring him up. Hey, t just share with me a little bit about your story. How, how, did you, how did you come to know Jesus? I've found that to be one of the most encouraging things just to, to ask people that question and adhere and some people have not been asked that question in years. They've been following Jesus for years. They have not been, and they start to go back and play through, well, you know, actually, this is how he met me. And it's refreshing them as they're refreshing you as you're, you're sharing the gospel with one another. You're building each other up in that moment. And so I would just encourage you when you, when you reach out, when you break bread with somebody, to, to keep Jesus intentionally a part of that conversation. Don't just assume it will happen. But we read that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And the prayers. And it's written in there as the prayers. 
I love how William Barclay summarizes this. He says, these early Christians knew that they could not meet life in their own strength and that they did not need to. They always went into God before they went out into the world. They were able to meet the problems of life because they had first met him. There was a priority that the early church placed on prayer. They were devoted to prayer. They held fast to prayer together, uh, alone, uh, separately, in homes together, at the temple. They persisted in talking with God. And that desire should should well up in us too, that we are constant, that we are devoted to prayer, to be in constant communication with the Lord. Now, some wonder because the way it's phrased that it's the prayers. Was this speaking to a specific set of prayers or a specific set of prayer times? And, and the Jewish practice was at various times of the day, they had set prayer times. There was also the morning and evening prayer times that would happen at the temple courtyard. And so some say, well, what is it? was it these? What is these? I think it's yes. I think the early church took advantage of each of those opportunities, that that was a built-in rhythm. And so they would join in at the temple and they would model what that looks like as they were all together and they would join in at the prayer times. And then when they got together, they would pray there too. And when they got up in the morning, they would pray there too. And that it was just something that they held fast to. They were bathed in prayer. This is why I'm so grateful for the many who, who give themselves to prayer ministry at this church that come, the, the women that meet and gather on Thursdays and, and sometimes more days than that, and the men that meet on Fridays and some who meet in the evenings and some who are meeting in the evenings now on Fridays to pray for our nation, but that there's a desire and a hunger within our church just to gather and pray. Charles Spurgeon referred to prayer as the engine room of the church. And the necessity of praying for one another and praying for the church makes it go. And so the question I have within this one isn't just are you praying, but who are you praying for? Again, it's that shift of intent. Who are you praying for? Who are you praying for within our church? Maybe outside our church. And, and here's just to take that another step. Commit to praying for someone. Just just. Grab a name, whoever God brings to mind. Pray for them this week. If they're far from the Lord, pray that they, they would come to know the Lord. Or if there's a need that you know or, or something someone's going through, just, just lift them up in prayer. And here's, here's the, the next little, little piece to that. I just encourage you at some point, text them. If you're comfortable doing that, if you know them, just say, hey, I'm praying for you. Just let them know. I can't tell you what that means to me and what I've experienced in those that I've done that too, in those moments when you know you are being lifted in prayer. Church, when many of you stop and say, you know, we pray for you. I'm like, I know because I feel it. And I will never turn that down. I will soak up all the prayers that you have for me because I know what it's like to be lifted up. And I know what it's like to lift up another. And that's what it means for us to gather and be a colony of heaven in the country of death, that we look different, that we're caring for one another. We're walking alongside one another. We're lifting up each other. We're petitioning for one another on their behalf before the Lord. So let us step into that practice of praying, being devoted to prayer. Verse 30, 43 says this. 
And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. As they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers, awe came upon every soul. Awe, a feeling of of reverential respect that's mixed with fear and wonder. The word awe here is, is, is the Greek word for fear, that we have this reverential fear, that we have this understanding that God is so much bigger than we can imagine, and we are in awe of who he is. We see this word throughout the book of Acts, that there was awe and there's this wonderment of what God was doing in and through his people. And may we never lose our wonder in that regard. May we never lose our awe of who he is as we devote ourselves to his teachings, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. The the, the final verses, we've looked at a few of these already, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Again, just pointing to that fellowship, and they were selling their possessions, belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They were a giving and generous church. And day by day, there's that word again, day by day, every day they're gathering. They were attending the temple. They would go to the temple courtyard because they knew that there was crowds that would gather there, and they would gather in the midst of that. That's an important distinction. They didn't try and kind of cloister off and not get in the midst of the fray. No, they got right in the middle of it. And they said, this is an offer for all of you. We want you to participate. We're going to show you what this looks like. We're going to model what this looks like as we follow Jesus. Day by day, they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. And they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. Now, this is interesting because we're going to see this shift where this favor, where it seems like everything's great, we're going to start to see some persecution break out in the book of Acts. But in this moment, people are seeing something so different that they're like, I I, want to be a part of that. And we're told that the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. More and more were being drawn in. And what we see in this is this colony of heaven and a country of death, devoted themselves to living the gospel and life together. They didn't run to the hills when trouble came. No, they continued to devote themselves to those things which mattered most. They, they were obedient to the truth of scriptures, learning, listening, obeying the commands of Jesus. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, being in life together, sharing in one another's sorrows, burdens, and joys. And they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread forming even their meals around the good news of Jesus, never forgetting but always remembering where their strength came from. And they devoted themselves to prayer. These practices were so vital to the early church and they are so vital to us today. So let us begin to pay attention to what we are devoting ourselves to. Let us allow Jesus to be the very center from which everything else in our lives flow. And this morning, I can think of no better thing to do than to come together at the Lord's table and to remember what he has done on our behalf. Stepping into this time-honored tradition that Jesus set forth for us on the night that he was betrayed and that disciples and brothers and sisters in Christ have been doing in remembrance of him for centuries as we gather and we pay attention to him, as we remember that we are to devote ourselves to living the gospel in life together.
But in order to do this, we must first devote ourselves to Jesus. So I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come on up at this time. And we're going we're gonna to take a moment and we're going we're gonna to sing. And as we, as we do that, as we prepare our hearts to take communion together, I want to encourage you to go back to that first question and ask yourself, who and what are you devoting yourself to? And if anything is occupying that space where Jesus should be occupying, then I want you to come and I want you to confess where you've strayed. Turn your heart, your attention back to him and allow him to fill you once again. And if you, you didn't get a communion cup as, as you walked in this morning, the ushers have them in the back. So as we sing, feel free to go back and grab that. And then we'll walk through this together in just a moment. But let me pray for us. Father, we just, we look at this community, Father, and the practices they put in place. And God, we, we recognize that these practices weren't just their striving or their strength. But what set this community apart was that they were empowered by your spirit to live these practices. And so, God, you have given us that same spirit of strength and of power to step into these life-giving ways. And so, Lord, would you? Would you move in us? As we come this morning and we gather around uh, the communion table, Father, we recognize that each of us in this room has a deep need of you. Whether we've admitted that yet or whether we have not, we all need you. And so we come this morning and we lay ourselves bare before you, seeking your forgiveness in those spaces that we have failed, speaking your peace in the midst of where we just feel chaos, clinging to the hope we have in you where maybe we just feel despair. And Father, if we are devoting ourselves to something other than you, if we are placing a priority on something above you, Father, would you help us to see that, to name that, and to turn from that and come back towards you? For there is salvation in no other name than Jesus. So God, we just rest before you in these moments. Search our hearts as we look to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.